0: Welcome, good people. It's once again time to have you sit back and listen to something between the Sublime and the Ridiculous broadcasting live out of the middle of nowhere, Catskills. Tonight, on the Evening Tickler, as always, we ask you to stop your reading and reflecting and begin dining and discussing. And, and the dining and the discussing tonight is going to happen with a remarkable new member of our mountain community. She goes by the name of Jess, but like all gods, she has a thousand faces. Tonight she's wearing a face that she's told me, and if you, if you could be zooming on us right now, you would know it's true, what she says. She tells the truth here, that her face is made. The complexion has been crafted and formed by tomatoes and cucumbers, a, a, a vision of summer on your skin. Jess, welcome. Welcome to the Evening Tickler.
1: I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Yeah.
0: We are going to begin with this question, Jess. Um, Is it true, the rumors about town, the town of Bovina, that you have done more for the reputation and advocacy of tomatoes than any other human being alive?
1: I mean, that's, that's a lot, but I you know what? I'm going to go with it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. Stand up and, and embrace the reputation that you've got right now. You seem not only uh, walking among us and eating dripping sandwiches, uh, tomato queen, but I've um, noticed on your many communications through the medias that tomatoes are something that you have a Jones for. What, how did that happen? How did you come to love tomatoes? And how did tomatoes come to love you?
1: Where did my relationship with tomatoes begin? You know, I'd have to go pretty far back on this one. You know, I think I've, I've for some reason or another, repressed a lot of my childhood memories, but something that (laughs) really has stuck with me was my Sicilian grandfather grew some pretty uh, far-out tomatoes. Um, He, you know, they were like his little children. He I remember how he took care of them and how he really, you know, brought all of his grandkids into the garden. I remember him walking around with a stretched out white t-shirt covered in tomato sauce like oh all my the goodness.
0: time. Oh, you're so lucky. You know, you you strike me as that character even though your humility is quite remarkable that has stepped out of any number of Hollywood movies. And, and you've just described um, that scene in The Godfather when Marlon Brando is walking through the tomato yard and has a heart attack. Did, did your grandfather die in the tomato yard?
1: He died in the lounge, in his uh, recliner mm. eating a gabagol sandwich. So Perfect. it's as close as That's it can get fairly, <laughs> uh,
0: Tell me, when your grandfather... Uh, Poised, genuflected, and showed you the tomato ness of him. Was it sort of a DNA thing that got you realizing that tomatoes would become part of your brand and life and complexion?
1: You know, I think I realized very early on that food was going to be my love language.
0: You know, Um, so well put love language.
1: It really it was the way that my grandfather Mm. showed love. It was you know his. Pasta Vazul on the table oh. every Friday night. Poetry. Um, you know, I thought I had a unique childhood experience of getting black olives stuck on my fingertips, but apparently anybody in the world has pretty much had oh, that Oh, that's so cute. Um, but, you know, I think I realized oh, you know, this yeah. feels good. He's sharing, he's putting time and effort into something. Yeah. He's watching our satisfied faces while we eat it. He's getting something out of it. We're getting something out of it. And that really stuck with me.
0: You know, that whole idea of uh, food being a language of love and a language that you spoke early on and, and being introduced to it by a man who would stick black olives on your fingertips also explains your sense of frivolity and fun around food because I'll tell you there are a lot of very serious people around food you know because it might be that there's serious people or there's money involved or they just take themselves too seriously but you seem to have a sincere pleasure in the entire process of what food um, making growing eating sharing talking is all about and a lot of people that have those passions aren't good communicators, but, you know, talk about the sandwich that you're made of, you know. And I will say that there's some, some really good bread on the outside, but the inside has got some of these complexities where you can do a lot of things pretty well. And and I look at somebody because you're young, and the question is, how did you develop all of these different languages now that you put into your love of food?
1: You know, I th- I think it really started because I was not good at communicating,
0: Um,
1: you know, my, I'm half Sicilian, but the other side of my family is, you know, my grandmother was British and she used to make a joke when we were done with dinner and everybody had had a few cocktails. She said, what are we going to do now? Sit around and talk about our feelings.
0: (laughs) Um, So that was uh, (laughs)
1: something we didn't do a lot of. Uh But, you know, I'm an emotional person and I Uh was an only child growing up on an Isolated island, as we talked about earlier. I yeah. grew up on Shelter Island, and uh, I had to figure out some way to get those, get my yayas out.
0: Yeah, and so was it a form of desperation of you just yearning to connect to other people that got you talking and out of the out of the sheltering Shelter Island? You know, I deal? think
1: food. You know, I I make music. I am an mm. artist mm. of different varieties. Uh, but food is something that you you know we touched on this too. You get some positive affirmation from it, yeah. you know getting to see people enjoy your food, yeah. watching them finish their plates, having them say, "Oh, you know this is the best thing, yeah. whatever it is, seeing their reaction yeah. is so rewarding, yeah, and you know, I think that 's really what got me got me hooked, yeah, um not so, only did I love. Doing it, I love yeah. that idea you know you 're nurturing someone yeah. you 're you know giving them yeah. this labor of love, but you get a lot out of it too
0: I think the sh- the the shape of our home 's heart is our table, and uh, the kitchen bridges to it, but all the same it 's there at the table where we sit and share and you being the host and and, and the cook uh, sitting down and and in a way silently through what you 've presented, leading it is one of the more magical and, and mysterious things because a, a beautiful table that's been laid with beautiful food uh, seems to, all on its own, after you've done all of the work, which most people don't understand, inspire the most incredible behavior in people, people that are shy, stop being shy, people that are mean and evil, start being nice, people that were hungry for things other than just food seemed in, empowered to talk about, you know, things that they're missing and lacking and, and it's the table. And yeah. now what have you done in COVID where you haven't been able to have your table? How have you taken care of that part of food?
1: Well, you know, I started a newsletter okay. and the newsletter is a monthly menu and a playlist. So I like to think that even though I'm not necessarily orchestrating my own gatherings, I have had a few small outdoor gatherings. Mm -hmm. But I like this idea of sending it out into the world and letting people, still orchestrating what they're doing, but having them do it on their own.
0: Um, One moment, but the, uh, the wait staff has just knocked on our table and they are asking for something that I'm not sure of. Oh. I'm I'm being asked by the uh, director of the studio to take care of an urgent problem here and so it has been taken care of and Um, These interruptions are quite like what happens uh, around a table where somebody has to go to the bathroom, but they are too uh, embarrassed to stand up and tell everybody that they have to go to the bathroom because the bathroom is right next to the table, which is the case in our house. Um, So that's done. The bathroom break has happened, and now we're back on to how you have dealt with not having a table during COVID. You've got a newsletter. You've got your wonderful sort of videos on social media.
1: Yeah, and, you know, I think my whole, I have this video series called Three Hour Salads, and the concept, I, I kind of gave myself this title of the the Bob Ross of salads, which is, <laughs> you know, kind of what I'm doing, but I, I want it to feel like you're in my kitchen with me when you're watching it. Yeah. Um, you know, I think... I've worked on a lot of cooking shows, and I've made a lot of cooking videos, and most of them had to be under a minute long. Most of them involved only hands, not even seeing somebody's face. And I feel like the heart and soul of cooking has been ripped right out of it. Um, And it's what you know, I know feels good for me. It's the part that I enjoy, and I like watching somebody else do it too.
0: <laughs> so um, are you ready for this? Because I'm, I'm going to tell you my first impression of you. And uh, I got the first one from a, a dear mutual friend who, Newell Turner, I hope you're listening, who described me to you. And he said, you have to meet this person. And so I'm, I decided, well, I'm going to go on to the Instagram and I'm going to stalk her. And I punched the button and there's this woman coming into the camera with like bedhead on, you know, and, but she's got the glow of a tomato and cucumber in her skin. And she says in kind of a breathless radio voice, this morning, we're going to make a breakfast salad, and and it caught my attention because it's like the biggest oxymoron <laughs> in the world. You don't you don't eat salad for breakfast. You have sausage and eggs and all of that stuff. And, but she said, "But fear not. It's not going to be leafy greens. It's going to be things of substance like <sighs> cucumber." <laughs> and it was just this incredible. And it, you know, and you're you're sitting there just talking right out of the you know, upstairs about doing this. And I thought this person not only has a whole new idea of what it is to, you know, eat and what it is to be, but she's really loving what she's doing here. Right.
1: It's, it's true. You know, I really love cucumbers. (laughs) I love, (laughs) I, I brought you the First, um, chicory that I'm really proud of. Wow. Um, You brought that to me. I have it here. Yeah. Would you like to see it now?
0: Okay. This is going to be a radio tickler first. That uh, chicory is being presented at our table here. Oh, my goodness.
1: Would you like to describe it?
0: Um, I'm going to try to do this. Um, Chicory is a reasonably bitter but savory um, head lettuce that is very difficult to grow and because everything in the world wants to predate on it. I know that because I've tried to grow, grow this stuff before. This head, um, which has been severed nicely at the root and holds all of its stems together, folds out like the bouquet you would want to present to a new person you were falling in love with uh, as a gesture of profound beauty. This is gorgeous, I look at it from the top and it's like a fractal drawing of uh, god's own imagination i look at it to the side and it looks like i'm staring at a, an elephant that's like big and pink and virginal this is a beautiful head of chicory how did you do this
1: well i bought some seeds from italy
0: that's a good story. Um, yeah, and
1: i could not read the directions and i you know i'm kind of I'm a little bit impulsive Mm. and I can be a little bit impatient. So gardening has been a a very interesting thing for me to experiment with. Um, I could have used Google translate. I could have asked someone who spoke Italian, but I just poured the the seeds in the ground.
0: Yeah. My kind of girl. Yeah.
1: And, you know, waited to see what would happen. And all summer they were green, which is fine, but it's not the way that they were supposed to be. Um, And now that the weather has started to get a bit cooler, especially in the evenings, they have, you know, started to turn these really vibrant, Mm -hmm. I'd say breathtaking colors.
0: Mm. Yeah, breathtaking is a good word. Yeah. So you have produced something that is magnificent. And, but I have to ask you this because it's just the beginning of your dialogue with anything. You, you, I, for, for the 10 minutes I've known you, you, you witness and you judge that it's worthy of your time and attention, and then you take that cliche, which is something you're probably familiar with, like this head of chicory, and you add some new energy to it. So, what is it that this chicory will become um, in your world on your table?
1: You know, I would have to say, I, chicories really—they really do something to me. Yeah. You know, they are um, something like I said. I—they leave me breathless. Don't don't get too personal. Yeah. This is a public <laughs> show, right? Um. But I think you know. Whenever I am making any kind of food, the first thing I do is look at it. Yeah, you know, yeah, right. I look at the color. I look at the shape. It. You know, I know what it tastes like in my brain already. But it matters to me just as much of how it's going to taste as how will it look in the end. Um,
0: so can I ask you a personal question? Yes, of course. When you wake up in the morning. And you go in to do your ablutions and you look at yourself in the mirror as you're brushing your teeth. Do you kind of go through that same experience of looking at yourself with, you know, beginner eyes and saying as you do with a head of chicory that I'm going to study this and, and then from my study I'm going to just intuit where it's going to go. Is that how you build your day with yourself looking?
1: I don't at, it takes me a long time to wake up. <laughs> I as you saw from my video, I don't know what <laughs> what's going on but there's not much happening for a while and I you know I do TM transcendental meditation and I try to do it when I wake up before I look at any devices which I normally the device gets me before I get (laughs) there. Um, and then I sort of sit up in bed for 20 minutes repeating this mantra that I paid a lot of money for. <laughs>
0: and, uh, well, then it must work. It must
1: uh, work. I believe that it's working. It's a correlation
0: between money and work.
1: And uh, yeah. then I kind of go, you know, putter about my day. Things have really changed being up here in Bovina during this pandemic, and I cannot tell you how transformative it mm. has been for Lovely. me to – Get out of my bed and walk outside, mm. go into my garden and check check mm. on everything
0: yeah that 's another video I watched of yours where you walked into your garden and, and you were just you were like again, beginner eyes you, you you were flabbergasted by just the the variety and the evidently overnight growth that had happened and it was fun to watch you, with your eyes and curiosity and enthusiasm, start to look at what might be. Uh, just wonderful. And, yeah. and, and it caused me, and I believe me, I've been in the dirt for a long time growing stuff. It caused me to, once again, and it's kind of a gift when you get this from somebody, to remember the joy of, of what this is all about. And, and you, you have a lot of joy in you.
1: Yeah, the gardening has been, you know, I, I, I'm, I can be a little bit of a, as impulsive as I am, also a control freak. Um, really? Huh. Less That's of a, a control freak, more of you. a perfectionism yeah. sort of thing. You know, I've worked for Martha Stewart for a dozen years. Yeah. So oh. that you know. Say no more. Um, and I've really learned to let go of that in the garden, at least, you know? And Mm -hmm. I think in the kitchen, too, I think, you know, I picked all of these special heirloom seeds, I was building the salads sort of in my brain before the garden even began, and Mm. watching it grow and seeing it take a a life of its own was Mm. like the best thing. Yeah, you're very
0: poetic. If I were to be hired by your handlers to do your biography in film, I would have a big part of it in your dream world where at night when you go to sleep, you walk into your garden, you know, and, and just like they say, you really don't know your next language until you dream it. You know, you would be in there and you would be exploring all of these things coming up out of the seeds that you put down and you would be handling them and smelling them and looking at them. And, and then this sort of, kaleidoscope of color and shape and form maybe a little bit of vinaigrette would happen and you know that would be a very important part the dream world of Jess which is likely probably true in some form. You've got to have this really overactive imagination that gets processed, right?
1: You know, I knew when you drew a picture of my face inside of a tomato that I was <laughs> truly being seen. And <laughs> yeah, I, I, figured, feel that, I feel I that, that again yeah. right now. It's a pretty special thing.
0: The um, the interesting thing about that, uh, and I, I posted a couple of promos for the show, and I drew an outline of a tomato and I put uh, Jess's face in it. And it started off, we have all seen uh, the Jesus face on Toast Points. You know, the National Enquirer posts those every two years or so. But have you ever seen Jesse Damick's face on a tomato? <laughs> because you're one of those rare people that um, has, I mean, you're, you're sort of an alien that has been invited on Earth to show us something that has become so familiar we've forgotten to really understand how mysterious and glorious it is that you wake us up to these simple gifts.
1: I could almost weep right now that is the the most touching thing anybody's said yeah. to me in a long time well it's that a self-apparent really, truth you got, yeah you it's got it. It's a self-apparent
0: it. truth and you know we're we don't, we don't train and educate ourselves into these gifts we're born with that. And we spend our lives discovering that we have it. And and we thank those people that say, you've got it, and stay with it. You know, And those are very important adults. And and for all of you out there that are adults, don't forget that your power is to look at young people and recognize their gifts and, and reinforce it. Because a few kind words really go a long way with people. Um, and so you must have been influenced by a few people along the way that said, Jess, you— you really do have an an incredible ability with food and your ability to express it. Um, I mean, we all have a handful of people that kind of guided us, right?
1: You know, I I don't really know where the cooking thing started to take shape. Like I said, I watched my grandfather cook a lot. I saw his relationship with food. And then uh, I just, I was maybe in, you know, sixth or seventh grade or something maybe younger than that and my mom would be at work and my dad would just kind of let me experiment um
0: that's very interesting it was
1: great i you know i made a huge mess yeah um and he was pretty patient with me uh in that way and he really you know i spent most of my time as a kid with him my mom was at work as a an emergency room nurse during the day And yeah, he always kind of just let me be curious.
0: Okay, so I asked you the question of who were your guides and mentors that uh, allowed you to become you, and you told me about a very important person in your life that only gave you enough rope to hang yourself with, but there was nobody, evidently, that said, You know, here are some basic principles of cooking and, you know, do this and do that and and watch me that that kind of thing, which proves this this idea that's beginning to dawn on me that you're an alien. And and you have been sent down here to in the guise of a (laughs) tomato, cucumber, complexed uh, complexion person to uh, show us the way.
1: I've always felt like an alien uh-huh. um, yeah, there you know, you go. as I said, grew up in a, a really small community always <laughs> I, I didn't <laughs> understand my
0: mm-hmm.
1: place I, I didn't feel like I fit in at all um, I certainly didn't feel like my parents understood me really at many times in my life um, and you know, I think I've been searching for my people for a long time and Working in restaurants in high school and throughout college, I was like, oh, these are a bunch of weirdos who probably couldn't be anywhere else right now. You know, I think the restaurant world sort of invites these misfits, basically. In And it's a a weird bunch of people. And they're funny and strange. And maybe they're artists. Maybe they have some other thing going on. And they're doing this to make money. But um, I really, you know, I think I was in high school. I was probably you know, 16, 17 years old, hanging out with people in their 30s who were trying to f- figure out what life was all about, and that was, that was pretty cool.
0: Very cool. You make me envious, and it doesn't happen often. I, I wish that I had been on that path as a young person to be in a kitchen and to be around what I've come to know as what you've just described, these, these absolutely magical people, chefs, and the people that work around food. And so you didn't you didn't stop that, but you did change your game a little bit into somebody that started to write to and publish that experience right and 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 aesthetically um, set it up
1: You might not believe what I'm about to tell you, but oh. I actually decided at some point during high school that I really wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon <laughs> um, I decided that I was going to Push away all my artistic talents because they weren't going to get me anywhere, and I had wow. to, you know, use my hands in to give people new kneecaps, wow. and so and make I make a lot of money. And make a lot of money. That was a big part of what I where Orthopedic I was going surgery. with that. Um, but I, you know, interned at hospitals all throughout high school and college. I went started college pre med, and even after college, I was working at the hospital for special special surgery and thought, this is what I'm gonna do.
0: You're so confused, I love that. Yeah. Now, um, (laughs) it's it's fascinating, you know, when I meet somebody who has both the ability to critically think, and and if you went into pre-med and so on, you are an accomplished critical thinker. But to then have also that deep creative bone, and on top of that be a communicator is kind of a rare package. Generally people like that, either go insane or they become, you know, CEOs of major corporations. Um,
1: I'm, I'm leaning more towards the, the insanity, insanity <laughs> right now, that's yeah. for sure. Yeah. Um, well, welcome to But it's a, ju- it's a real journey, <laughs> you know. It
0: is. So the discovery um, for a person like you who I think wakes up with a, an honest curiosity about what the day will bring and and – and the ability to fuel that curiosity with a lot of gifts and craft, um, and the humility, of course, that you have, does probably leave you with a uh, platform that is expansive and you don't know where you're going to go and how you're going to perform or who you're going to meet on it, which is kind of an exciting thing. Well, for some people it's terrifying, but I get the idea that you're fascinated with the idea of where your life might go with the gifts that you have
1: you know I think there's been times when I couldn't see that in front of me Uh and it's you know I felt like I just kind of can't get it right but then there's other days where you know I wake up and I decided at some point during COVID that I'd like to start sculpting things so Hmm. I bought some chicken wire and some plaster and some joint compound and some hemp shreds and i'm making some lumpy sculptures in the what used to be a chicken coop and uh I, it's <laughs> fun you know <laughs> i don't know it's really speaking to me right now i like working with my hands and i like making a mess yeah um i think that's i really like to kind of be chaotic and l- lose control let it take over for a little bit and see, see what goes on.
0: Yeah. That, you know, um, you talked to me earlier about how generally when the world is healthy and sane, you would go off several times a year on your own wanderings. And you can't do that this year, but, uh, it, you know, the balloon, when it's squeezed, it doesn't lose its volume. It just pops up in different ways. And this, this art form sounds to me very much like you wandering. Yeah.
1: Um, Yeah, for sure. I mean, I usually go on these trips with the idea, I always am like, oh, it's going to be a writing trip. That's what I call them. And, you know, one year I went to the Russian River Valley and I said I'm going to keep my cell phone away from me and I'm going to sit down and I'm going to write. I really wanted to write an erotic thriller. I Mm. said that's what's going to happen here in five days. I'm going to write a script for a film. And you know what? I ended up writing like, a page and a half and then I just stared at some redwood trees for the rest of the time. (laughs) And that was, that was cool. That was helpful. It was helpful not to look at my cell phone and you know what else I did? I cooked a lot for myself. I went to the farmer's market in San Francisco before I drove up and I just loaded up, you know, with the most beautiful produce I could find with no real plan in mind. And I spent hours cooking a meal for myself. And wow. sitting on the back deck and in a bathrobe, just eating a salad—what's better than that?
0: Well, uh, for you, nothing is better. But for many people, they don't enjoy cooking for themselves because it's all about satisfying other people. But you must be deeply narcissistic to be able to sustain yourself on yourself that way—selfish, narcissistic, and uh, absorbed self-absorbed.
1: <laughs> you know, it's funny. I was I was talking to a friend, <laughs> and. She was saying, I'm, I'm in the process of pitching a cookbook and really trying to nail my, uh, my mission statement. And my friend said, well, you know, you have kind of taught me that it's a gift to do this for yourself. And you know, that really tickled me.
0: That's a, that is a, uh, it's a deep insight on many levels. Um, and I'll be personal for a moment because it's been, I think, recently in my life that I've understood the importance of and the practice of learning how to love yourself. And and what you've just described and, and you cooking for yourself and taking that real joy out of it is is that exactly, of, of giving yourself permission to love yourself in spite of all of the things that we go through in our lives. And it's work to love yourself. It sounds like you found that path to a degree.
1: It's funny, I I mean, I think that that's something that I've been actively searching so hard for in so many different ways. And, you know, it was really right there in front of me the whole time. And it kind of took me seeing someone else using that. My best friend, Glennis, she's a, you know, very accomplished, professional New York woman. And up until two years ago, maybe it was even last year, she didn't own a set of pots and pans. And you know, she's so organized, she's really successful, she's so on top of everything. But she was ordering takeout or going out to eat and she really had no interest in preparing food. And there were a lot of ingredients that she said she didn't like. All throughout college she refused to eat mushrooms, which I thought was totally crazy because she didn't like the texture. And I gave her a set of pots and pans, and I've given her some tips. I let her ask, you know, I'm like, don't be afraid to ask me anything just because this is what I do. That's why you should be asking me. Her, My favorite question she's ever asked me was, is pecorino a meat?
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, and I love that, you know? <laughs> I do, too. That can go in a lot of different yeah. ways. Yeah,
1: and so the other day she te- sent me a text message, and she said, You know, I'm so excited. Tonight, I'm just going to stay in. My CSA box just arrived. I'm going to saute some of these mushrooms, and I'm going to have a glass of wine. And I was like, that I could never have imagined, you know, even six months ago, hearing you say that. And it makes me so happy.
0: Yeah. that form of uh, being an instructor and having a hand on somebody and leading them to a point where they can experience joy is a big part of not only when you start to understand um, your own self and, and how to appreciate and take care of yourself, but that gives you permission then to share, and the sharing just flows with that. And And the story that you just shared with us is that. I mean, it's got a perfect beginning, middle and end. And, and the middle parts of stories are always wonderful because your friend in her naive, innocent ignorance, you know, as Pecorino, a, a meat, um, is out in the woods and she's wandering. And, you know, you're that sort of angel up above the woods looking down and, you know, giving her a little tap to get her back on the road and this and that, and get her to that point where redemption happens. And, and your story had that it had the beginning of somebody who was on a path, and, and she was takeout and restaurants, and then she went off the path into the woods and asked the question, is Pecorino a, a, a meat? And then the redemption was that she called you up and said, my CSA has arrived. I'm going to saute the mushrooms and drink wine. And that yeah. that's such a lovely story that you just shared.
1: Yeah, it really, you know, I think something that I touched on in my newsletter this month which is something that's really you know been something i've been carrying with me this whole journey is you know having somebody cook for you is really like the best feeling in the world especially for me as somebody who's always the one doing the cooking you know i don't care if somebody makes me some like fried eggs that the yolks are burst and it's a total yeah. disaster it feels so good mm-hmm. that somebody took an eff- a physical and mental effort to do something for you. Yeah, And, um, you know, I think you're right on with saying when you can say, I'm going to do that for myself, it doesn't matter if somebody else is going to do it for me. Sure, it's great. It's a real treat if somebody else does it. But I deserve to have that even for myself. Um, is really really important and it doesn't always take a lot of time or effort but it's just you know bringing that little bit of mindfulness into what you're doing Um, I think it can really change your whole experience from you know even when I travel alone people are always like well isn't it so like aren't you so lonely what do you do you eat at restaurants alone like yes it's fine it's okay it's not I'm it's a good thing for me, um, but yeah, you can make something nice for yourself. You can make a big as big of a deal out of it as you want to. You're, you know, if I want to take, you know, dirty every pot and pan in my kitchen to make a meal for myself, like I'll do it.
0: Yeah, you you remind me of so many things in, in the in what you've just explained, and I and I would suggest that when you are putting your mission statement together on on your next book, that, that that be it, because it's fresh. And it's something that I really haven't heard before, that uh, it, it is the idea of approaching what is in front of you, your, your food, as a way of, of being, the grace of being aware and the goodness that comes from that. And quite simply, what you're suggesting in your food preparation and what you do when you travel and in the way you look at the world is that if you are still enough to really open up and be aware of what's around you then the magic happens and and it's in itself infinitely entertaining and it is infinitely the teacher because in my work with farming I I came early on to understand that It wasn't going to be somebody else that would teach me. It was the work Mm -hmm. that taught me. And it was the time, you know, into that that gave me the insights and and taught me what was right and what was wrong. And that's exactly what you're describing in terms of, you know, taking food and preparing it and and serving it up. And I I think that to be a responsible person, you have to be in yourself the first arbitrator, and the first judge of what it is. And then, then it's good to share it because you know the worth of it. And But that's a double-edged sword, isn't it? Because when I grow food and I prepare and I love my table and I love everybody that comes into my home, into our home, and I see them marginalizing and pushing the food around and leaving things on the plate and I know what that is you know, it's one of those things that gets me really upset. And it makes me political. It makes me want to, and I've done it a few times, you know, schooling them on what that is, and what I expect (laughs) in terms of their behavior around them. And I get a little bit hot when somebody is like in a restaurant where they think it came out of a can, Mm -hmm. just pushing around my life. And that's what, I don't know if you ever feel that way when you bring up, your chicory or your food and you see people not paying, not being aware.
1: You know, it's funny. A huge part of my preparation of food and my, when I'm eating or entertaining or doing anything is music. And I feel like maybe I try to distract myself during that eating portion. So I'm not like, you you know, I'm, I'm taking it all in, but I'm sort of swept up in this feeling I've created and maybe I'm you know I'm able to let go of some of the details although you know I mean maybe another part of that is when I worked as a food editor with Martha Stewart this is actually where the three-hour salads came from um, a big portion of my job was making Martha lunch and um, you know it would Probably take more than three hours every day it would involve you know kind of checking in and seeing if she had any dietary restrictions that day because they were you know always changing if she was in the mood for something and every once in a while I would get a prompt from her my favorite that I tell everybody is one day she said I'm in the mood for something light and fresh and truly delicious
0: <laughs> okay
1: <laughs> and so I went on that and you know I'd spend hours going to the farmers market trying to find the best ingredients and I carefully you know she only eats the six leaves from a head of lettuce the really crunchy ones inside and I wash them three times and individually anyway there was there were a few times where she'd eat it the salad in front of me yeah and I remember very distinctly there was one time where she you know was probably three feet in front of me at the other side of the table Eating this um, shaved zucchini salad that I had made her with her hands, and it was just the two of us in mm. there, and she didn't say a word. And I mm. knew it was risky. Sometimes she didn't like shaved vegetables if they were wet at all, and zucchini, you know, gives off some moisture. I had put cheese and nuts in there, which mm. somebody said one time she didn't like it. So I was like, I was nervous, and mm. I was. But I was confident in what I had made. And I just watched her eat it, and she ate, like, the entire thing. And with like, her fingers. With her hands. And, like, kind of slid, like, you know, left this empty plate. And then she looked at me and said, I don't like fruit. or I don't like cheese and nuts in my salad. Oh. And then she just walked away. But it was, you know, so... Satisfying to see her eat every bit of it, and I wonder how that experience would have been different if she pushed you know some things that I had spent hours and hours of effort and thought on uh, just to the side because it, it's a, it's, a per, it's a personal thing
0: to be at the knee of a god, Martha, and to with her expectations sometimes mercurical to get her to eat anything and I would guess even a backhanded compliment like that is something that uh, you go yes to.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, I could spend the rest of my life examining our relationship in yeah. therapy, and I probably should spend a little more time on that yeah. um, because it it's, you know, I think I'm a little bit masochistic in that way. I like putting myself in that situation where I know she could just say the smallest thing and it would really get me Mm. but I like the feeling I feel truly alive in that anxiety of waiting for that
0: so all of you people out there that climb Everest to experience risk in life-threatening moments and all of you people out there that like James Cameron want to go to the bottom of the Marianas Trench you have just heard somebody who has described high risk (laughs) on a plate of salad you don 't have to you don 't have to die well may, maybe in a spiritual way you die if if you fall off your, if you fall off and fail but it 's fascinating you know the idea that that for you really touches that that risk factor that all of us have and, and evidently you 've got a big time in, in the in your travel and, and this and that um, and it 's something that i don 't think really ever goes away uh, and that sort of um, Statement is all projection because it certainly hasn't gone away. I don't know about other people or about you, but if you've been born with a certain appetite for risk, you're always looking to put yourself in a situation where you're going to test yourself. And, you know, to have, you know, a Mount Everest in the form of Martha, where you are testing yourself, um, is you need that. You, I don't know you well, Jess, but you need the Mount Everest in your life to yourself and to prove yourself
1: if I don't have that going on I feel like I'm you know uh. like asleep yeah you know the, it, I've been doing a lot of spiritual digging these past few months and you know I yeah that little bit of anxiety definitely makes me feel very alive yeah um, and working with Martha has been you know it's, it's. I sometimes forget that not everybody is privy to the world of food styling and editorial shoots in general. Um, you know, high stakes on a food set is... I, re, I will always remember the very first time I was on a photo shoot. I was assisting a very uh, well-known food stylist, somebody who had been doing it for a long time, and it was the last shot of the day, and it was... A loaf of bread where a few slices had been cut and then a knife was on the side of the cutting board. And I watched a team of probably eight pre- adults who had been, you know, this was their career, bickering, arguing. <laughs> the stylist put her foot down and said, I will not let you take a photo until you let me put crumbs down on the right side of that knife. And the photographer was like, no it's too much. It doesn't, it's, it's too messy. And the stylist was like, it's real. It's gonna, it's the whole feeling of this image, you know. It needs to feel like somebody really did it and they're, this is on the table. It tells the whole, this whole yeah. story yeah, lies in those three crumbs. Yeah. And we, st- we were at a standstill yeah. for like a long time yeah. and I was like, okay, so this is, this is what I'm gonna do. This is my yeah. calling.
0: And if you can be the the person that has the final say and puts out an argument that shuts everybody else up, that is kind of, I I think, an, an aspiration to be able to see a situation where it's conflicted, and every situation is, because with belief systems, with politics, with families, you put... tomato on the table and everybody's going to see it from a different point of view and they're going to have different experiences on it and their truth is their truth and they are going to defend it if they are worth their salt and so you get professionals together and that's what you have, a bunch of people that are convinced that they're right in spite of everybody else saying that they're right and so consensus is just about impossible if you can be that person aside from just using brutal power you know, you're writing the check to Bring that together and and make everybody feel like they've won a little bit. Well, I've just described an impossible situation, particularly on a food shop. May I have another glass oh, of wine? Oh yes, I've been uh, waiting. I've been waiting I, to do this. Job. I um, you know, in you telling me that story, I'm I'm reminded of 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 that very thing that we're discussing right now. That we all have strong convictions and our aesthetics have been made through doing things that people say are right, and then we you know, literally bring that to the table, and we are, we are defending our own self-definition, which has taken our lifetime to bring to that point. And so you have to be extremely careful about, number one, respecting the mm-hmm. fact that they have that, and yet being able to, what I've always thought of reminding people of the greater good, which is we're on a budget and we're on a schedule and we're going to take a look at this and um, we're, we're all going to make compromises. But remember, we're not doing this for each other. We're doing it for somebody that's looking at a flat one-dimensional piece of <laughs> imagery out there in Des Moines, Iowa. So, you know, if you don't like the crumbs, I'm going to put you on a meatloaf shoot next week. <laughs> I mean, it is really the art of leadership in the world that you live in is extraordinary and you must be kind of good at it.
1: I don't I don't know. I you know I am trying to in most cases go with my gut and I'm trying to not take myself too seriously and I think with food at least that's the key. You know, it's it's food. You know, nobody It's it's not surgery, Um, you know. Yeah, but what?
0: Come on! If somebody says God lurks in the crumbs, uh, it's it's no longer just a silly thing.
1: It's true, and I take it. I do take my job seriously. I've been, you know, I've spent nights, sleepless nights, worrying about a decision I made about whether it's crumbs or you know the angle of the spoon in the shot or whatever it was, Um, but. I, you, you have to try to find the the fun in it. You know, I think, I, in pouring you this glass of wine, I was thinking about it. I always, I love it when people give, like, these really grandiose wine descriptions. Um, and there's this little restaurant in Brooklyn called Hearts, and it's, like, a pretty cool place, you know, they sell all these natural wines. And, uh, you know, a woman was like, I didn't recognize any of the wines on the wine list any of the regions any of the grapes i was like what what's going on here this woman described this wine and she's like oh you know it's like really has that forest floor sort of you know (laughs) air about it and all these things and i could hear somebody reacting to the same wine at the table next to us it's very close quarters and they're like oh I'm really getting that.
0: <laughs> and you know, it's all
1: in the power of suggestion. It, it so if much. she had not said Forest Floor, I really doubt that guy would have said, oh, you know what I'm getting in this. Like, there's yeah. some stepped-on pine needles in here. Yeah. Um, so I like, I like it. I like that somebody thought Forest Floor when they tasted the wine. I don't know if that's what I'm going to taste, but I like that somebody came up with that. That was their experience, whatever. Yeah. It's... You know, um, I think, you know, you see so many, I've worked with just so many talented people and I really try to keep, you know, I get a little jaded sometimes. I get a little stressed or annoyed or whatever, but I feel like I learn something in every shoot, whether it's about myself or about what I'm doing. And I still, you know, every once in a while, I mean, it's really, you know, working with Martha is everybody always asks me, what is it like to work with Martha? And they have their opinion about what it's going to be like already. They're waiting for me to confirm that. But what I tell them is I learn something every single time I speak to her. She is like a wealth of knowledge beyond anyone I've ever Hmm. met. And, you know, it's sometimes it's just a little, a little tiny thing. She'll watch the way you're doing something, and she'll say, why don't you do it this way? Mm. And she'll show you something. And like, I love that. Mm-hmm. And if your you know, ego takes over, and you're uh, you know, super self-conscious that she even saw you doing it a certain way, or you can't get that out of your head, or whatever it is, you miss out on those moments and i think i try to take the you know observer seat a lot in in my work and i'm i you know sometimes i do need to be the loudest voice in the room but Mm -hmm. oftentimes at work i'm not that person yeah um because when you can step back and sort of just focus on what you're doing you can really take in a lot yeah
0: Yeah, wise words um on the on Wise words is a saddle on a horse, which is really just a metaphor for being thankful. It sounds like when you learn something new, it's not like you're being corrected, but you're thankful that you're learning something new and you're growing from it, which is another probably part of who you are or will become, which is that person who witnessing your life and the way that you approach things will be um, a mentor for other people of the way it could be if you want to love yourself and grow. And I'm sure you, people are starting to look at you as somebody that they want to emulate a little bit. I mean, Maybe not. All that <laughs> all that
1: sounds pretty far out, which is something that I'm trying to bring back. I just watched this Ram Dass documentary and uh-huh. he just threw out far out a lot and I was like far that out. sounds pretty cool. I'm going to bring that back. I like yeah, that, that, that whole expression. feeling. Yeah, I yeah. you know, didn't experience it the first first time around. So I feel yeah. like it's a good one to bring bring back.
0: So the Captain Tripp show has just walked in. I feel his energy behind me. And one of the greatest lines, of course, of The Grateful Dead, which he's going to play for three hours, is you know, sometimes the light is shining on me and sometimes I can barely see. But recently it's occurred to me what a long, strange trip oh, yeah. it's been. And and that is such a perfect definition of what you've done in describing your life so far that you have been experiencing and putting yourself into situations where you have been able to witness incandescent light and also darkness and through it all in being aware and courageous you've grown and that to me is what this strange human experience is all about, is to be able to do that and to be able to hold these polar opposites, which are really part of the same coin, opposite sides, and function with a little bit of joy. And you've used food, and I think it's appropriate because your complexion is made of tomatoes and cucumbers. Maybe in another couple of months when winter sets in, it'll be spam and yeah, white who bread. who knows what will happen then? <laughs> <You know. laughs> I,
1: I have a gift I ha- I've been holding on to through this whole thing. I'm going to cut you off. I'm going to interrupt you Please. to bestow this gift upon you, which I cannot remember what it's called now. Uh-huh. But I am holding, it's small, it was too early to pick, but this beautiful mustard-colored cucumber. Oh, dear. And Heart it's really, I, I mean, it's it's an okry, uh, If Once it gets a little bit bigger, it sort of gets this bronze kind of matte. Skin. Anyway, it's a thin-skinned Indian cucumber. My goodness. It's, it's ochre, and it is, has the texture of an Asian pear, oh. and its seeds oh. taste like lemon. Oh. And it is truly... Oh, thank uh, you. It's being it's passed to really me.
0: It's being passed to me. Now, I'm holding this in my hand, and, and I, I just want to tell myself, heart be still... Rarely have I received such a gift, and I know how precious this is from your packet of seeds in your garden to me across the table here at the Evening Tickler. I don't know whether I want to put this under my mattress and experience <laughs> the princess and the pea thing or just um, eat it now or slice it up for breakfast, for my breakfast salad. But you, <laughs> you Jess, are um, a remarkable person with a... Huge range of interests and curiosities and and ideas that will not only serve yourself But um, I think make all of us better people Uh, You can you can always find Jess wandering the streets of bovina (laughs) She's sometimes lost and sometimes uh, found but she's there and she's she's with us And it's another example of what's happening up here the the really interesting weird people are congregating, and it's, it's like it's like the bacon, bacon fog in the morning with Antonio Mora getting ready for the day. You know, this, this wonderful fog, morning light coming through, and these rainbows happening out of it. That's, that's kind of Jess, strange, wonderful grower of chicory and cucumbers that can only be described by her poetic imagination. <laughs> Thank you so much for being with us, and, and I, I hope that like soon when you evolve and change and shed the skin that you're in right now, you'll come back and explain that to us because all of us want to know what it is that you really do to be you. See you next week or hear you next week.